All right. So, uh, so we are starting a brand new series tonight uh, called Big Questions, Biblical Answers. So this uh, is an overflow of questions that I gather from y'all at the end of summer, just about questions maybe y'all personally had about Christianity and culture. Maybe it was questions that you have like seen online or seen in a book. Uh, maybe it's questions you've heard yourself personally from family or friends or other people. And so I took those questions and we just want to answer all of these and we just want to see, hey, how do we as Christians respond to some of these questions or some of these issues? How do we view these things from a biblical worldview? How, what does the gospel even have to say on some of these issues? And so that's what we're going to be going through for the next several weeks. So some of these questions that y'all had. Because obviously with some of these questions y'all had is there's always a story behind some of these. Um, there's some behind that. We want to know as Christians, how do we better respond to these things? How do we be salt and light, as we just talked about in Kingdom Minded, uh, of the earth? So tonight's question we're going to kick off the series with is this. is What does the Bible say about slavery? What does the Bible say about slavery? Obviously, the, the issues of race and other things have really picked up in conversations over the last few years, and so it can almost be overwhelming at times. So we want to kind of take a step back, and uh, we're definitely going to have for the next couple weeks two more just race-related questions we want to answer so we know how to better respond to these things. But tonight, we're going to be looking at the question, what does the Bible say about slavery? So before we begin, let's pray. And then we'll jump right in, okay? So let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just come before you uh, in desperate need of you. Uh, just as we live in a fallen world, it can be so difficult to, to wrestle with so many of these things, to uh, understand how to live uh, as salt and light in the midst of all this. But we are so thankful for all that you provide for us to be able to live faithfully. We thank you above else for you and the perfect just example you set for us that we pray we follow. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that empowers us to be able to follow your example and conform us more into your image. We thank you that just this, this book that the Holy Spirit authored, um, how it is sharper than any double-edged sword, how all of it is inspired and breathed out by you, and it is good for just reproof and correcting and teaching and equip all of us for the good works that you have prepared for us before even the foundation of the earth. So now as we enter into this time, would you just help us wrestle with this? Would you help us grasp this? Um, and would you just help us be uh, just better followers of you and being able to live this out? That as much as we have these big questions, we're thankful that we can come to your word and answer them biblically. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. So obviously this issue of slavery, we look, let's say, at some of these verses just right off the bat that we could see in Ephesians and Colossians. And some people, if they're just casually reading through, if we're casually reading through, might look at these and they might say, hey, see, look, the Bible even gives commands about slaves and masters, which means God himself must endorse it and be okay with slavery. And initial glance, that could, that could seem like it if we initially look at it. But something that we must constantly understand when it comes to any passage of Scripture or any just one particular verse is that we have to understand the context behind it. If I could give you three important rules when it comes to reading your Bible and properly grasping it, it is this. It is context, context, context. 
It is so important. There's some things that are different, let's say, between 21st century America and the biblical times that we see. And we must understand some of these issues. And so when we look at the context surrounding even some of these verses and other verses that we see in Scripture, we will see that it is a lot different when we initially read that. And so I want to go in two different directions tonight of how we talk about slavery. So there's two types of slavery that the Bible talks about that I want us to talk about tonight, and that is physical slavery and spiritual slavery. So the first one I want us to talk about is physical slavery. So physical slavery is the one that we might think of when we think, let's say, 9th or 16th to 19th century in the American South where we enforced Africans to work and, and that type of stuff. But the first thing I want us to understand in biblical times is this, is slavery in biblical times was based on economics, not race. So slavery in biblical times was based on economics and not race. So from the start, this kind of goes against maybe how we might view this. Because from our mindset, we view it from, again, a, a Western 21st century mindset where we might be thinking of it, of let's say the South from the 16th to 19th century. But we've got to understand that it is fundamentally different in this time in biblical times. So to give a little history of this, of, of how it's based on economics, is so what would happen is maybe someone was unable to provide for their family, or maybe they incurred a debt that were, they were unable to pay. So what they would do is they would either approach the person that they owed a debt, or maybe to a wealthy person that could help pay off that debt, and they would sell themselves into slavery to that person, so that way they can help pay off that debt that they owed, or at least have some form of employment to provide for their family. And so what we see from the start, is what we have to understand, is slavery in biblical times, according to the Bible, was voluntary, it was not forced. So slavery was a voluntary thing, it was not a forced thing. In fact, in many ways, it, slavery could be translated into more of a servant rather than slave in biblical times. Slavery represented more of a form of employment rather than, let's say, an institution that we would think of. Slavery during biblical times was more kind of like a bankruptcy law to help people. So if someone has a debt that they incurred, sometimes they thought, well, we could just throw them in jail until they pay off their debt, but they're in jail, how are they going to work to pay off their debt? So what they might do is they might approach someone to be hired by that person, and the person that hires them would give them a place to stay, would give them a wage, would be able to cover just their debt for them, and would even try to train them up in some sort of, uh, some sort of craft, whether it be carpentry or bricklaying or something of that nature. So that way this person who might have been incompetent in handling their funds is trained up, built up, and then sent back out into society to, to be able to contribute more back to that society. And again, some people just chose to be slaves, so that way they could be able to provide for their family and just have some way to provide for their family. So that's the first difference, is that in biblical times, is that slavery was based off economics, not race. So now we want to turn to the scripture, and when we turn to the scripture, we see both the Old Testament and the New Testament condemn slavery. At least slavery in the way we think of it in a 21st century Western mindset. So first, I want us to look at the Old Testament. And what does the Old Testament have to say about this? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21, we're going to be looking at a few different verses, but the main verse I want us to look at here first is Exodus chapter 21, 
verse 16, okay? So Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, where it says this, okay? Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. So from the very start, from the very beginning, when God is giving Moses this Mosaic law to give to the Israelites, God is condemning slavery, or we see some ways he is condemning man-stealing. In fact, to go with your notes, slavery was a capital offense, and its punishment was death. Slavery was a capital offense, and its punishment was death. In fact, to even go a step further, that you see in your notes, slaves were even given a range of protections and privileges that we even see in this Exodus. So if you go to Exodus 20 and look at verse 10, it says this, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So the seventh day was a Sabbath day rest for all, even slaves or servants. When we go back to Exodus 21 at verse 2, it says this, When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So a slave shall serve for six years, and the seventh year they will be set free. And again, since this was a voluntary thing, a slave could easily go right back, and sell themselves back into slavery for another six years, but again, they would have to be set free the seventh year. So it wasn't something of, let's say, a generational thing that we might think of, where if someone sells themselves into slavery, if they're bought into slavery, then them and their families and their generations and generations, let's say, are going to be in slavery. No, it's okay, you're in six years, in seventh year, you get to go free. Or even in Exodus 21, verses 26 and 27, where it says this, when a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. Or if he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. So even if someone, let's say, abuses the slaves they have or harshly mistreats them, then that slave automatically is being able to be set free. So we already see some of the ranges of protections and privileges that slaves would have in the Old Testament time. And in fact, even in Deuteronomy, 2315, it would talk about how, hey, those, uh, those slaves that have escaped their master and come to you, you are to keep them safe and do not send them back to those masters that they have escaped from. So God gave these Israelites to protect them from harsh slavery, from harsh slaves to be able to come back into, let's say, their nation and to be able to set them apart from the world around them. Because as we'll see later, is the Israelites were set free from abusive, harsh slavery themselves earlier in the book of Genesis. And so God was giving these notes to say, hey, you are not going to start what you were just freed from. So from the Old Testament, we see, okay, God condemns slavery. But someone might say, well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Because we're living in New Testament times. Well, with that, I want us to look at what the Apostle Paul had to say when it came to this institution of, let's say, man-stealing and enforced labor. So if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, where we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11, okay? So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. So here's what it says. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, 
for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have entrusted you. So enslavers, again, this concept of people that would steal people, that would forcibly steal people and force them into labor, becoming an enslaver, is mentioned in the same likes as liars, those who strike their mothers and fathers, murderers, and sexually immoral people. So we see that slavery is just as sinful as murder and sexual immorality, according to Paul. So he is re-emphasizing what the Old Testament said of how slavery, that forced labor, that institution, is sinful. In fact, if we look at, let's say, slavery in the New Testament times as well, in New Testament times, sometimes doctors, lawyers, and even politicians would be slaves. In fact, slaves in the Roman Empire often were incredibly well-educated. In fact, there were members of the upper class who were even taught by slaves themselves. And this, of course, would be in total contrast to what we have understood, let's say, in the South, where there would be a lot of masters who would try to forbid slaves of being able to learn, especially learn how to read, because they might be able to read, let's say, passages in Scripture about, let's say, freedom and, and liberty and trying to grasp all of that. Of course, there are also many first century uh, slaves that just lived essentially normal lives and were paid for their work, sometimes enabling them to buy their freedom. So we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament that it condemns slavery. And the third aspect of physical slavery I want us to look at is this. In fact, the story of the Israelites is the story of emancipated slaves, of slaves that have been freed. Now, look, obviously we looked at in Exodus 21 about the laws given about slavery and about the protections for slaves. But if we look back at the way beginning of Exodus, in the very beginning of Exodus is when the Pharaoh saw how all of these Israelites were expanding and becoming a lot more fruitful and multiplying in Egypt. And so what he did is, this is long after Joseph has kind of been, has left the picture in this. And so he saw that people were, the Israelites were growing and multiplying and becoming more. So Pharaoh said, okay, we're going to put taskmasters over them and we're going to oppress them and force them into this harsh labor in building these many things. And the people were crying out. We looked at Exodus, it says the people were crying out and groaning in their slavery. They're crying out to God to free them from slavery. And then we see how God says that he has heard their cry and he remembered the covenant that he had with them. And that's we see how he set Moses up saying, I'm going to set you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And that's we see how he sends all the plagues to, to eventually break Pharaoh and break his heart and heart to let his people go and to free them from slavery. And then several chapters later, we see in Exodus 20 and 21, God giving Moses these laws of, hey, remember what you were freed from. Remember what you just got freed from. We're going to set these laws in place so you do not institute what you were just freed from. And that you will be set apart from all those other nations around you. And to remember, let's say, the slave and the refugee and these people when they come across. Remember those times with that. So we see from physical slavery that we see that was based on economics and not race. We see that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that it condemns slavery that even the story of the Israelites themselves is a story of emancipated slaves. So that's what it says about physical slavery. So now I want us to look at, okay, what does the Bible have to say about spiritual slavery? Because this is also just as important, if not even more important. 
So the first thing is this. Those who are outside of Christ are slaves to sin. So we see this slave language in the Bible, discuss, like talking about people who are outside of Christ and those who are in Christ. So the first one is in John chapter 8, verse 34, where Jesus says this. He said, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And again, we practice sin because we are born with a sin nature. One that is naturally desires to worship ourselves, to best serve ourselves, and to rebel against God. But here's what I want us to see what happens when we live for ourselves and we're slaves to sin. In Romans 6, verse 16, it says this. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So Paul's saying, whatever we present ourselves to, we are presenting ourselves as obedient slaves to that. And there's only one of two directions we can go that we are presenting ourselves as slaves. Either we are slaves to sin, which would be if we are putting our, so whatever is your first priority, whatever you desire most, whatever you place as the highest priority in your life, that is what ultimately we are serving and presenting ourselves before as an obedient slave to that. So if we are presenting ourselves, let's say, as ourselves or anything in creation as the top priority in our lives, then we are slaves to that. And of course, anything that is not placing God first would ultimately lead to sin. And if we're making ourselves slaves to sin, it's an adventure that leads to death. But of course, if we present ourselves obedient before Christ, then it leads to sanctification. It leads to eternal life. And that's what happens when we desire Christ above everything else and place Him first. So what we see is those who are outside of Christ are slaves to sin. In fact, we even talked about this in Matthew 6, 24, how it says, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two masters. You'll eventually hate the one and love the other. You'll eventually despise the one and be devoted to the other. That we can't be trying to serve, let's say, ourselves and God at the same time. When naturally the flesh battles against the spirit. So what we see is those who are outside of Christ are slaves to sin. The second thing I want us to see is Jesus took on the role of a slave. Jesus took on the role of a slave. In fact, that's what Pastor Aaron said just when we started in Philippians 2, verse 7. It said Jesus did not even count equality with God, but instead took on the form of a slave, took on the form of a servant, and was obedient to the point of even death, death on a cross. Or in John 13 which is just a mind-blowing passage. So Jesus is having this Passover supper, about to have this Passover supper with his apostles, leading up to his crucifixion, knowing that his hour is coming soon. And what Jesus does is he decides to wash his disciples' dirty, disgusting feet. Now remember, at this time, it's not like they had the newest Jordans or, or the nice newest shoes. They had sandals. And they're walking around everywhere, so they're kicking up dirt, potentially droppings, and whatever else might be on the ground. So their feet are probably nasty and gross. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus takes the role of what would normally be a task for a servant. And he fills a basin of water, and he washes his disciples' feet. Including 
Peter, who's going to deny him three times, including Judas, who's going to betray him. And then here's what he says in John 13, verses 14 through 15. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus is saying, look, that I've washed your feet. And if you proclaim to be a follower of me, that if we're proclaiming Christ, we're proclaiming him as Lord over our lives, as master over our lives and teacher. And then we're to follow the same example that he did. He took the role of a slave. Or in fact, in Luke 4, 18, it said Jesus came to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind. That Jesus came to set the captives free, those who are slaves to sin, to free us from that bondage. So naturally it follows that if Jesus took on the role of a slave, at least this, every Christian is a slave to Christ. Every Christian is a slave to Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So we have been bought with a price. And what we have to understand, what we really, what we must remember as followers of Christ is we remember that we were bought with the price. We have to remember the price that was paid to free us from our sins. And it was the cost of God's holy, perfect, eternal, only Son. It cost the blood of a Savior. That we were bought with an eternal price. We must remember that. So we have been bought by Christ and we are now His. That is such a beautiful thing. Or in Romans 6, 17 through 18 and verse 22. So we saw in Romans 6, 16, okay, whoever you present yourselves to, you're presenting yourselves as an obedient slave. If you're presenting yourselves as an obedient slave to sin, that'll lead to death. But if you present yourselves as an obedient slave to Christ, it leads to obedience and sanctification, eternal life. And let's look at the next couple verses after that. So verse 17, 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And then in verse 22, But now that you've been set free from sin, have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So when we repent of our sins and believe in Christ and this finished work that he did, He breaks the chains of our sin. He breaks the chains of our bondage to where we can live for Him. That we were bought with a price that, yes, it was costly. But now we get to joyfully serve Him. It's His servants, it's His slaves. Again, we saw in Luke 4.18, it said Jesus came to set the captives free. And then a beautiful reminder we get is in John 8, verse 36. So if you remember, we looked at John 8, 34. It says, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. But now we see just a couple verses later, Jesus says this in John 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now we repent to believe in Christ. He breaks the chains of our slavery. He breaks the chains that, that hold us back of sin. And we're able to serve Him joyfully. 
that we are eternally set free because of him. So we see that those who are outside of Christ are slaves to sin. And we see that Jesus took on the role of a slave. We see that every Christian is a slave to Christ. And last, we want to see this. Slaves and free are both one in Christ. Slaves and free are both one in Christ. Obviously, as you see on your notes, there's just a few different passages. But I just want to read the last one in Galatians 3, verse 28, where it says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. In fact, a lot of the apostles use this type of language, this slave language, identifying themselves as a slave. So we see Paul and James and Jude, Peter, and even those that, let's say, those they associated with, they would consider themselves slaves to Jesus Christ. In fact, a lot of first century Christians were slaves. So think about this. If you were a first century slave and you hear some of the apostles are using the same language of identifying themselves as a slave to Christ, how encouraging would that be to those people? Whether they were an apostle or a commoner, whether they were slave or free, everyone has equal status in the kingdom of God. Everyone has equal status in the kingdom of God. So let's then ask this final question. How does the gospel, what does the gospel say or respond to slavery? How does the gospel respond to slavery? So just as we saw physical and spiritual slavery, I want us to look at these two. How does the gospel respond to first physical slavery? So here's our response to physical slavery. As let's say we might understand it in the South of how it was, is that everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone bears his image. And so when we enforce slavery on someone, it is treating that person as lesser than, which is not only an offense to that fellow image bearer, but it's also to an offense of whose image is bore on them, which is God himself. Of course, slavery in the South also shows just what happens when sinful people living in a sinful world allow sin to run rampant in one's life. What can result in that? So that is what, how the gospel responds to, let's say, physical slavery. But here's how it responds to spiritual slavery. As we saw, everyone who is not in Christ is born into a sinful nature. We are born slaves to sin, and there's nothing we can do in our own power to free ourselves. But Christ's finished work on the cross sets us free from the slavery of sin. Christ's finished work on the cross shows that anyone can be forgiven for their sins. That no matter how great you feel like, let's say, your sins are, no matter how heavy, let's say, you feel like the burden is on your shoulders, that because of his finished work on the cross, when he cried out, it is finished. He disarmed Satan from one of the greatest weapons he could use against us, and that's unforgiven sin. He could break every chain. For us to be able to return back into a right relationship with him. That again, we repent and believe in Christ and his finished work, then our chains are broken. And that shame that weighs so heavily on our shoulders is removed. 
that there might be some of you that you just have guilt and sin and shame that weighs just so heavy on your shoulders. And Christ came to remove that off your shoulders and bring you back into a right relationship with him. That we are bought by Christ. Because we are bought by Christ, we are now slaves to Christ. And we get to joyfully serve him. The greatest master we could ever serve. And also something we need to understand in regards to this too, is, is that in society, we see a lot of times talking about, let's say, social reform and changing things in our society. Well, the Bible and the gospel, ultimately, its ultimate purpose is meant to transform people. It's meant to point people to salvation. It's meant to point people to redemption, where they can be saved. It's more about transforming people rather than, let's say, reforming society. However, however, when we have transformed people, that will in turn lead to a society being reformed. So for example, let's say in Europe when slavery was running rampant, there was William Wilberforce who, who worked against that. Or even in the United States, how we had Abraham Lincoln work against that because we had people that were convicted by the gospel saying this is wrong in the sight of God. We want people to see set free. So how does the gospel or how does the Bible talk about slavery? Well, again, in biblical times, we see that, that it's based off economics and not race. And that it condemns slavery as we might understand it. And then instead it gives us gospel hope that whoever might be spiritually in slavery to sin, that anyone can be set free. And that is such a beautiful promise. And that's the living hope that we have that we get to tell other people about. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we are just so thankful uh, for you. We thank you just for you coming and you setting the captive free. We thank you that um, you're able to help us grasp so much of this. We thank you that, that no one is ever too far gone from your grace that can't be transformed and renewed and brought back to a right relationship with you. So I pray as we go forward um, into the society around us, would you just give us just a grace about ourselves? Would you just help? Um, we have questions that's like asked like this. As your word says, would you help our speech be just so full of grace and just so seasoned with salt, knowing how we ought to answer each person? Or that we are ready to give a defense in truth and love with all of this. Would you help us continue to cling to Christ? in the midst of a world that can turn against him? Or would you help us cling to Christ in the midst of a society that might call good, evil, and evil good? Would you just help us cling to you and point other people to you? That we can tell other people about Christ, that they can be set free from their sin and bondage and guilt and shame as only you can. Would you even free people tonight from guilt and bondage and sin and shame as only you can to help us live for you and joyfully serve you as we go back into our workplaces, into our schools, into our jobs, into our sports teams. So as we joyfully serve you in all those areas, we can continue to make Christ's name known as only you can. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.